0: Behind the Knife, the surgery podcast, where we take a behind-the-scenes, intimate look at surgery from leaders in the field. All right, and welcome back to Behind the Knife. Uh, this week we have a special episode as we just finished up the meeting at uh, ASCARS in Seattle, the American Society of Colon and Rectal Surgeries. Uh, we are lucky enough to have the uh, program chair, uh, Dr. Anjali Kumar, and next year's program chair, Dr. Eric Johnson, joining us to break down this year's meeting and talk about next year's meeting. Uh, Dr. Johnson, Dr. Kumar, thanks so much for joining us in Behind the Knife. Thank you.
1: Yeah, thanks for having us. Uh,
0: so I understand this year's meeting was a tripart, is that how you say that, tripart meeting? Uh, in in- What does that mean? I I saw it advertised, but I'm not quite sure what that's all about.
2: Um, So Tripartite is an international meeting, and it involves the uh, ASCRS, which is American Society of Colorectal Surgeons, as well as five other societies. And they are the Association of Coloproctology of Great Britain and Ireland, the Section of Coloproctology Royal Society of Medicine in the U.K., and Royal Australasian College of Surgeons and Colon Rectal Surgery Section, Colorectal Surgery Society of Australia and New Zealand, as well as the European Society of Coloproctology. And this tripartite meeting only happens once every three years because you can imagine it takes a long time to plan a meeting of that that big. Um, And it rotates in these three areas every three years. So it rotates in the UK, Australia, New Zealand, and North America every three years. So it's really only in the US about once a decade. And it was very special to us, Eric and I, that it was in Seattle in our backyard. Um, It also uh, included a lot of people from the Pacific Rim of Asia. Um, They traveled a very long ways to be with us, um, sometimes upwards of 24 hours each way, and spent a lot of their own money to be there. So we had a responsibility to them to not only show them all the wonderful things about Seattle, but also to provide high-quality content.
0: Uh, Dr. Johnson, uh, you served on the program committee for this year's meeting. Uh, Tell us some of the details of that.
1: Well, because of the tripartite nature of the, of the meeting, uh, we had a record number of abstracts submitted. There were over a 1,000 uh, abstracts submitted, and of those, the program committee read and subdivided as well as evaluated um, the abstracts uh, per subject topic, uh, broken down into the pillars of colorectal surgery, which are benign in anorectal, including pelvic floor, uh, neoplasia, benign colon outcomes. Uh, as well as basic science. Um, We also had video uh, submissions uh, that were graded. Um, This year's committee included abstract reviewers from the Tripart Associations, so there were about 100 people uh, involved in the reviewing and selection of about the uh, 100 abstracts and videos that were presented at the podium. Uh, 400 uh, submissions were presented as e-posters, and then there was a magnum opus video competition, uh, and the winner was picked by audience polling, much like American Idol. Um, it, it basically, it was just a, a very informative and, and fun uh, format for the meeting.
0: So, so I'm curious. Uh, I saw that you had some critiques and uh, competitively judged uh, videos. Um, what were these videos? What surgeries were they performing? Um, and you know, how did the people judge it? Was it just a group of experts? or?
2: Um, so, we tried to pick uh, videos that would demonstrate techniques that are rather new to us in the United States, but that people in Europe and um, down under have been doing for quite some time, such as ventral rectopexy for rectal prolapse and transanal TME, which is the um, transanal method of doing a total mesorectal excision, such as in the case for rectal cancer.
3: And Dr. Kumar, this is the first year you're doing the, the program chair thing, correct?
2: Yeah, and um, what an honor.
3: Yeah, how, how'd it go?
2: Oh, I thought it went really well. It was very overwhelming. Um, one of the youngest people to be to have been picked for, for a job uh, of this scope. Um, but it was also really exciting to carry out the, the president of our society's vision. Her name is Patricia Roberts. She um, works in Leahy Clinic. Um, really special for me to be hosting everybody in my hometown Um, I had a very uh, strong priority to involve young surgeons. Um, I came straight from the young surgeons committee to a role like this, so we involved them in a full day symposium that was dedicated to career development as well as preparation for their um, oral board examination, which is totally separate from the general surgery examination. We also involved them to be moderators of our e-posters, which was just such a great way for them to collaborate with these uh, international scientists and other young surgeons, aspiring colorectal surgeons who are general surgeons, general surgery residents. We had a lot of fun. We did um, a fun run. We had our welcome reception at the Museum of Pop Culture. We took the monorail to get there. We um, tried to set up plenty of networking, for example, a residence reception where people who are applying for colorectal surgery could meet each other, meet the program directors, and then have a social event right afterwards to, 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 to just mingle and further get to know each other. We had a meetup for allied health professionals around the nation um, because. Um, they can sometimes be marginalized within their own practice environment, and it's important for them to have a, a network, a support group. Um, so we got them to meet each other. But then on the serious side, you know, everyone needed to be heard, and it was a it was a tremendous balancing act. We had to um, regard everyone's individual um, requests as well as what was timely and hot topics for our society. Um, morning sessions at 6.30 in the morning called Coffee and Controversy, and it uh, was um, um, kind of uh, like a debate format, Um, and there were barista bars in the back to get everybody sort of energized for for participating in that debate. Um, We had some happy hour debates, um, most notably a debate about what was the best technique for rectal cancer, open, laparoscopic, or robotic. And we had some audience polling with that. I was I was very pleased with the attendance. We had about um, 2,200 um, physicians who attended and over um, 3,000 people overall. Um, and the rooms were really full until the very last day, and we, we strategically did that as a program committee. We put one of our most popular um, sessions was rectal cancer trials, at the end of the meeting and um there's some really um, amazing uh things going on in rectal cancer right now
3: oh, that's great and dr johnson i know you're the program chair for next meeting you know i kind of imagine it goes into scheduling a you know a meeting like this and uh, you just can of go through like how far out you guys start planning for this how do you go through picking speakers all the different moderators all the different uh panel discussions uh and then you where's that yeah exactly where's it at too that's helps
1: So the meeting's in Nashville next year in May, late May, um, and we we actually started planning it um, right before super committee this year. So when Anjali, uh, Rocco, and Sonia were still heavily involved in planning their meeting, we were already starting ours. And uh, that's really what you need to do because by the time you get to the current meeting, you want to have a skeleton um, for what the next year's meeting is going to look like. And obviously that's malleable based on how your predecessors do and what's popular. Um, but there's a lot of discussion with our industry supporters at the meeting and they want to know what you're doing. And so you've got to have a a solid idea of that. You don't necessarily have to know who's speaking, uh, but you got to know topics. And then once you finalize that agenda, um, what I've done is I've put a list together of, of of people that I know uh, are completely reliable and solid speakers, and and people that I want to get involved. Some some of those speakers are people that I know haven't been involved in the last meeting or two, and we want to bring them back into the fold. Um, but a lot of it comes down to your president. So uh, your your president has an agenda, and, and Guy Rangio is this year's president, and he wants to have young surgeons and he wants to have a solid female surgeon presence and so that's going to impact who we select uh, as speakers and symposia directors heavily um, and we're in the process of putting that together right now
0: yeah behind the knife is waiting for their invitation uh, to this meeting so we're, we're looking forward to that
1: we'll invite you you're invited <laughs> consider Nashville yourself is a great invited
0: town. <laughs> uh, one question, Dr. Kumar, before we continue on. Uh, I was wondering, what were some of the other hot uh, topics in the debates? Oh, yeah. uh, I know we had the rectal cancer. Were there any others that got people's, uh, you know, getting excited?
2: <laughs> so, yeah, there were some fights. Oh, yeah. <laughs> About um, oncologic resection for an adenoma with high-grade dysplasia in the colon, whether to use some of our fancy um, techniques endoscopically to, re- to lift and remove that, or does that patient deserve... Uh, a colon resection. That was one good topic. Um, we had a couple of topics about the EHR, the electronic health record, whether it helps us or hurts us. Um, public reporting of outcomes was debated amongst uh, a U- U.S. representative and a representative from socialized medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last one was an east versus west, and that was about the hemispheres, the difference in the hemispheres in the treatment of node positive disease that's in the lateral sidewall of rectal cancer.
0: And just uh, out of curiosity, do you remember the result of the poll of the audience for rectal cancer just amongst the three major options?
2: Well, the robot uh, representative w- wow. one. <laughs> really <laughs> wow. what do you think about that eric wow.
1: well i mean some of it's it's who that that particular individual todd Francone, uh picked that or he was chosen to debate that topic and he's he's quite convincing so i mean some <laughs> of that, the, yeah. the presenter drives that to some degree
0: yeah. and uh, dr kumar you spoke at one of the symposiums can you tell us about that
2: yeah, so the way the meeting is structured is about half of it is are these scientific abstracts that Eric mentioned, as well as videos that are competitively judged. And the other half is invited speakers, and they um, are asked to develop a symposia on a given topic. And on Saturday, we exclusively had hands-on symposia. For example, the robotic rectopexy, this transanal TME. We had one on high-resolution anoscopy for patients who are high risk at developing anal cancer. How to actually do that? Um, so the participants had a chance to hold the anoscopes, look through the scopes, understand what, uh, how to recognize pathology versus benign. Um, we also had hands-on for young surgeons. We had this, this mock orals that I that I mentioned earlier. Um, And so one of the didactic, not hands-on, but didactic um, sessions was on endoscopy. So it was brought to our attention that um, Dan uh, from by it was brought to our attention by Dan Herzig, a, a, a colorectal surgeon at Oregon Health Sciences University, that he worked very closely with uh, Brian Fennerty, one of his colleagues there, who was the past president of American Society of Gastroenterologists. That colorectal surgeons are not um, quite up to par in terms of our quality outcomes for endoscopy, and you know the, the theme of our our meeting was quality this year, so we we really ran with that and developed a whole symposium about it. Um, and some of the topics that we included was, um, you know, how to do a good prep, how to track your quality outcomes, and um, and I spoke on um, the the management of flat polyps that are hard that are very easy to miss and hard to resect. Um, And one of the great things about this meeting, we had a lot of audience polling, and um, about 60% of our participants in that symposium, they don't do split-dose preps for colonoscopy preps, and only about a third of them were following their own adenoma detection rate. So I think that's really important for colorectal surgeons to be aware of. We have to provide our patients as high-quality screening endoscopy as our GI counterparts. What and is a split-dose prep? So that's when a patient takes the majority of their prep the night before, but then some of it the morning of their procedure. And it's been an ongoing sort of um, discussion with anesthesia colleagues, I mean, how late is too late. And so really the guidelines from the societies that run gastroenterology is that it's okay to give patients a prep in the early morning, about two, two hours before their procedure, um, and then they can have a full, um, full view of of any pathology that might be there.
0: Very interesting. And and Dr. Johnson, you also uh, ran one of the symposia. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So I
1: was asked, um, probably by Anjali, uh, to do this uh, symposium on uh, prevention and repair of symptomatic peristomal hernia. Uh, I did that with uh, Sharon Stein from CASE as my uh, co-moderator. And We uh, had international speakers. We had a a past president of our society, Dave Beck, speak. Um, We featured uh, a young female surgeon, Angela Kunin, from Boston Medical Center, uh, on a talk about uh, mesh selection, uh, biologic versus synthetic versus absorbable. Um, And uh, and then I had uh, an outsider from the society, Igor Beliansky, who's well-known for his minimally invasive hernia skills, um, come and give us sort of a cleanup talk uh, about using the robot to repair uh, symptomatic peristomal hernia. And it went over far better than I expected. We we had the largest room. It was basically standing room only. Um, we had uh, a full discussion at the end of it with a case presentation and nobody asked any questions, but nobody left. And so I felt validated
0: well, I have two questions. I know, and I understand why this would be such a highly attended, as everyone dreads uh, these cases. Uh, two questions for you: Do you always use mesh in these uh, recurrent peristomal hernias, or just a peristomal hernia? And then what can you do to prevent them uh, in the first place?
1: Yeah, so there's good data on prevention. I mean, really, uh, I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that I can't, I always put in prophylactic mesh when I create a permanent stoma, but we probably should based on the available data. And my, uh, my, my preference would be to prophylax with a, a medium weight synthetic uh, in a sugar baker type fashion. I think that's going to give you the best results, um, but that's somewhat controversial. Uh, in terms of repairing hernias, absolutely, you've got to use mesh. Now, the technique you use is quite debatable, but the one thing we know for sure is that uh, primary suture repair of a peristomal hernia will fail essentially 100% of the time. It doesn't mean that there's not a place for it. I mean, if you're doing a damage control procedure in the middle of the night on an elderly patient who's got dead intestine that might be the time to do that and just get them off the table but but if you're trying to re- do an elective repair of a peristomal hernia you should never do that primarily without mesh reinforcement and, and likely a sugar baker technique is the best
0: and dr kumar uh, there there's some incredible awards given this year can you tell us a little about this
2: I'm so glad you asked about Soon that. Our, for next year. <laughs> our awards committee um, tirelessly went to every single um, scientific presentation. So all of those um, abstracts that were selected for the podium, they went to all of them and they judged them. And um, based on that that um, scoring, they were able to award something like nine um, cash prizes to um, the the people who presented them. And these cash prizes were, money is collected from many of the regional societies of our of our organization and they're direct they're delivered directly to the the winner Um, and I was so proud that many of them were on basic science topics and were received by um, young people of our society Um, and some of some of the clinical um, awards that were given were on really cutting-edge topics as well but we also give awards um, that uh, we, we we've historically been been giving to to non scientific um, uh, recipients. So that's um, an example of that is our media award where we find um, uh, who within the past year has really represented in the media. Um, uh, a topic of, like, let's say colorectal cancer awareness, and has done a good job with it. And the Public Relations Committee um, l- looks at all of those nominations and chooses the winner. And we have a local hero award, and this um, was awarded to Doug Dahlman, who is a gentleman who lives in the Portland area, was cared for by Mark Whiteford at the Oregon Clinic. Um, unfortunately, he developed rectal cancer and required an APR or an APE, abdominal perineal excision and a permanent colostomy this man is such an inspiration he he became a bodybuilder and he um, competed um, nationally he was uh, awarded uh, an honor of being in the colander col- colander how do you spell how do you say mm-hmm. col- col- colander colander which is like basically a bodybuilder's uh dream to be <laughs> in this colander um and i heard the story about how he had to um gorge on all these protein bars um before his competition and just uh, he had done an irrigation and wore a little band-aid for the majority of his competition so nobody knew that he had a colostomy but then the protein bars kind of took effect and when he actually won and was called to stage he had to slap on his ostomy bag and he and everyone in the audience was just in shock and awe that this gentleman had had um, the history that he had had very humble man extremely inspirational and it just brings it home that this is all about patience in the end.
3: Yeah, well, that's great. Uh, and then I should you know. I should look at this before we started. But can you tell us, Dr. Johnson, maybe about some of the the named lectureships that you guys had?
1: Yeah, there's several named lectureships that we do, and with, without going through them individually, I mean, basically they're designed to honor uh, the history of our society. And so there have been several uh, hugely impactful surgeons. Um, uh, that uh, have had uh, lectureships named after them, generally after their passing. And the nice thing about it is is every year when we give these lectures, the, the very beginning of the lecture goes through uh, some of the history of the individual that the lecture is named uh, for. Um, and, and so we get, we get to kind of relive them uh, repetitively. And every year when new members are there, they get to learn about them and it's a way to keep their light burning um, and, you know, most of those lectures are chosen by our exec committee, but we've got a, a, uh, a Par Kamengar lectureship, which is a, really an ethics-driven lectureship. And Par was a, is a colon cancer, well, rectal cancer survivor, and he's still with us. And he donates money to the society every year as well as the Northwest Society. And so he's got a, a named lecturer Um uh, and then their, uh, the Bacon Lectureship is actually one that's picked uh, by the program chair, and so that's one I'm going to work on. Yet I don't I don't have anybody nailed down, but I've got some ideas.
2: And we have uh, um, Ernestine Hambrick was the first woman who uh, trained and was board certified in colorectal surgery, and we we picked a non surgeon for this um, talk and. And her name was Lata Derby. She's from Mayo, and she's done some really seminal work on burnout, physician burnout, and how to prevent it. And we had a very touching um, lectureship, memorial lectureship, that was given in honor of Dr. Eugene Salvati.
0: Now, unfortunately, we weren't able to make the meeting this year. Dr. Johnston, can you tell us a few of the the big takeaways that you're going to bring back uh, to your practice and uh, maybe change and something our our listeners can uh, keep in the back of their minds here?
1: Yeah. So common question, you know, I get asked all the time, what, what, you know, what would you take away from the meeting? And And I, you know, when I was training residents, I would always tell people that when you go to any scientific meeting, you know, if you get one or two things, that you can really take home with you that are new or different or make you think that you're ahead of the game. And that's generally what I see. Uh, you know, there's a lot of review stuff that you see, which is great. It's always good to, to get repetitive uh, contact with, with, with the stuff you already know. But I would say for me this year, uh, there were two things that we, we, we seem to have been hitting on big over the last couple of years. And one is transanal TME. Um, that That got a lot of attention uh, in the meeting this year. There was a hands on lab there was a lecture series, plus there was a, a named lectureship where Tatiemi uh, was was described. Um, and, and I, and I, you know, that's sort of the new hot topic. And then the, another thing that's sort of been building over the past couple of years is, is better defining the role of radiation therapy and the treatment of rectal cancer. And, you know, it's certainly not the standard of care yet, but I think over the next few years, we're going to see a move away from using radiation therapy as much as we do currently. And so it's important to stay abreast of those developments. Uh,
0: I think Dr. Kumar was saying that in Europe they're doing a lot more of the TATME. Um, can you just talk to our listeners because I, I think a lot of us maybe aren't as familiar with the TATME? Just kind of the, the general indications, uh, maybe times it's not good. What are the limitations of it, and maybe why it's picked up more abroad? And what you see for the future of it?
1: Yeah. So I mean, it can. I, in my mind, TATME is a tool, and so basically, what it is is it's a way to dissect the lower rectum. Uh, Transanally using a laparoscopic transanal platform uh, under very high quality direct vision uh, using a a 30 or 45 degree laparoscope. Um, Now the 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 trouble with the technique is it's you know we are all essentially fish out of water with it um, and it's got a very steep learning curve and so. You know, probably the one big risk that we see is getting into significant bleeding laterally in the pelvis, like an area we pretty much consistently stay out of when we're working from above, uh, or injuring the membranous urethra anteriorly. And, and these are things we just didn't see with traditional techniques, and so um you know they they seem to happen enough early in a surgeon's learning curve that they they are getting a lot of attention in terms of how to train and and I think the training's much more rigorous for this technique um the the place I see it having the biggest impact is in obese men with you know lower lying rectal cancers mid to low rectal cancers where you know the the, the lower pelvic dissection is just so challenging. I mean, you can get into what I refer to as no man's land where I don't care how good a surgeon you are, you just can't see down there. And this gives you a way to see directly and and get a very clean TME. And so I do believe it has a place. I don't know know, if it will become a standard of care or or when that will happen, if it does. But um, I think that it's something that people need to pay attention to. And You don't want to be too late to the train station uh, on this one or you're going to miss it.
0: And you can still do a low rectal anastomosis after?
1: You can. You can. And you asked about limitations. And so a very, very low tumor, you can't do this technique with essentially. Well, there's a way to do it. uh, But you kind of have to start the distal dissection using an open technique and then throw your transanal platform in. To where you've got your incision. But but the the majority of them, uh, you put the platform in or you, you create a purse string suture in the rectum so that you can sort of create a pneumo uh, pelvis or a pneumo rectum without dealing with rectal content or spillage the whole time. And if the tumor's too low, you can't put the transanal platform in and dissect around it. And so you've got to modify the technique. But I mean, as you can imagine, somebody's going to figure out any 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 way to do something with this thing. So.
0: And I thought I heard you say something that kind of shocked me because um, something that's been hammered into us for the past five or ten years, every rectal cancer patient doesn't need radiation, or maybe that's what they're thinking in the future.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, if you go to tumor board, if your patient has a T3 or node-positive tumor, um, you you know, the the multidisciplinary committee is going to recommend radiotherapy generally preoperatively, but certainly postoperatively if you didn't give it. And the the final path confirms that. And and the the question that's being asked is with high-resolution MRI nowadays and and better preoperative staging, you know, do we need to add radiation therapy in patients that have a non-threatened circumferential resection margin? You know, because radiotherapy is not free. It comes with significant cost to the patient, not just financially, but through uh, long-term side effects. It can make surgery more difficult. Um, you know, it can cause incontinence. I um, there's there's any number of side effects. And I think if it can be eliminated safely without a compromising oncologic outcome, then it should be. And, and that's where a lot of research is right now.
3: Well, those two topics, you know, are very interesting, especially for anybody who's been taught differently for the past few years. But, you know, if we miss the meeting, we miss all the updates, what's the best way to get any more info? Is there ways we can get the, you know, uh, the audio or slides or anything like that?
2: Yeah, there's there's several ways that our um, social media committee, chaired by Kyle Colon at USC and Sean Langenfeld at U of Nebraska, have made available to us. And I thank them so much for their hard work. Um, they have made available to us an app that you can download. It's you just look for it on any search engine. It's the um, it's called um, ASCRS uh, 17 2017. And all of the speaker slides are there. Um, looking for us on social media, you can get um, a personal insight into how um, participants of the meeting reacted to many of the um, talks and debates, especially. Um, and then the website, it will also eventually in a couple months probably have um, the narrated slides for members. Um, and, and one of the things that impressed me about this meeting was the opportunity to not only network face-to-face um, and share our ideas and techniques, like what suture do you use for that? How do you, how do you know when too low is too low, things like that. Um, but also, social media has brought us together to a point where this this concept of transanal tme is so it 's so important that we figure out if it 's going to be safe if it 's going to be effective, and we need to find out fast for the sake of our patients. And social media has allowed us to collaborate with our international colleagues so that we can all pull our de- collect our data in the same way, first of all, and pool it together and then potentially report on it in a really collaborative way. So it's really, it's really transformed the way we do collaborative research now, too.
0: And I think you guys are both probably aware they, they call colorectal surgery the, the new PED surgery as far as competitiveness, and there's a lot of interest uh, throughout residency programs across the country, and we have a lot of residents listening. Uh, so this sounds like a, the perfect, obviously, meeting to go to if you want to be a colorectal surgeon in the future. What are what are some ways that residents can get involved? Maybe they're out of the lab this year and they're not going to be doing you know basic science research to win one of those awards. Are there um, other ways to get involved with this meeting for next year?
1: Well, I mean, I think number one, um, you know, I would put up a plug-in for membership in the society so it's very affordable especially for residents um i think it's a good use of educational allowances if those are provided by the the training program um, you know, certainly if residents can do some research, if they have some lab time or if they have a mentor in their program that uh, could could help them participate in research that would be uh, presented at the meeting, they can submit the majority of abstracts that are presented at the podium, get accepted into our journal, Diseases of the Colon and Rectum, which is an upper tier journal with a heavy impact factor and looks good on the CV when you're applying. Um, if you come to the meeting and network with the staff, it's a very friendly group, and uh, almost on almost every evening, you can find people down at the hotel restaurant or bar just just talking and enjoying each other's company. And oh, every e- <laughs> exactly, he's always there, and there's always residents that uh, come up and talk to me, and you know, and you remember them, and, and when their name comes around, if you know, if you're a fellowship uh, program faculty, you're going to remember those folks. Um, For the members of the society, they get access to uh, a program called CREST, which stands for Colorectal Educational System Template. Um, it's basically a uh, an online education module, very similar to SCORE curriculum, but all designed for colorectal surgery. And I, I personally, I'm involved in the committee, so I personally think it's the best thing out of its kind out there. Um, there's excellent access to videos, narrated presentations on various topics, both core and, and very specific topics.
2: Multiple um, choice
1: questions. Multiple choice if questions. If you want to practice yep, yep. those, yep.
3: so aim towards residents, fellows, and tendings?
1: Everyone it's everybody, really. It's design I mean, it's. I think when we made it, we designed it with maintenance of certification and our our colorectal residents and mine, but i think general surgery residents i think senior staff I, you know i'm the vice chair of the committee so i review all the presentations and i watch them and learn and, and and it's a great way and and when i come across something in my practice i haven't seen in a while i actually have gone back and looked at crest presentations on it um and so and it's free to the members and it's just a great way to learn
2: and so you can get all that with the resident membership team. yep
1: absolutely okay. yep
2: Right. And like you said, you know, it is a coveted fellowship. Um, about Pat Roberts in her presidential address um, showed the data over the years, and about a one third non match rate for for colorectal surgery. So it's it's a wonderful feel. That's why we're both in it. It's really um, really pushing the the boundaries of what we can do, both with our fancy gadgets and gizmos, and aluminal surgery like Dr. Johnson was was uh, describing, but also in terms of our ability to think outside the box, like, for example, the treatment of rectal cancer. So it's a fun field. We encourage you to reach out to us and to um, learn more about the society through the website, which is FASCRS.org.
0: And, Dr. Kumar, I believe you are on Twitter and pretty active. Uh, what is your uh, handle so we can <laughs> our listeners can connect?
2: It's at Anjuku MD, so A N J U K U M D. Please uh, in, di- direct message me; I'd, I'd be happy to take your questions.
3: Dr. Johnson, you on Twitter
1: yet? I am on Twitter. I'm I'm at Dr. J D O K T R J, but I rarely use it. I, I need to start using. He's a lurker. Yeah, <laughs>
2: we we absolutely love what you do here at Behind the Knife, and we're we're recording this. Live in your studio home, um, and yeah. we're very fortunate to live right, right down the street from you. Um, and you're doing so much for the international surgical community to get the good to get good quality um, information out to everybody.
3: Well, we're glad to hear that, and we can thank you both for driving or driving down to see us. And Dr. Kumar, I know you drove like four hours to come record with us today, so that's great. And Dr. Johnson, it's always a pleasure talking to you as well. So. Uh, we hope to have you both back on again here in the future, and then we'll definitely see you at next year's ASCARS meeting.
1: Right on. Thanks for having us.
2: Come to Nashville.
1: <laughs> Until next time, dominate the day.